later this morning. And so when the Michael W. Smith video goes up on the screen and it's just going to be scripture read over us, that's when we'll do our offering. So that's when the ushers will get up and, and walk forward. But it's going to be a little bit into it. So just kind of sit back and enjoy. Um, and if you would, just turn to Psalms 51. The verses should be on the screen if you don't have a Bible or you forgot your Bible. There's also Bibles in the front pews there in front of you. Every pew has at least two Bibles. And I'm just going to read these first five verses. Psalms 51, it's, it's the Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so David's, man, this is like the low point in David's life, right? He had an affair with one of his mighty men's wives. He then kills his mighty men or sets it up so his mighty man dies. It takes this woman to be his wife. There, a child is born. That child dies. Eventually we get Solomon from that same wife. And I mean, it's a low point in David's life. And yet David was known as, as a man of, after God's own heart. And Nathan comes in and he rebukes David strongly. And the difference between David and Saul is that when Samuel rebuked Saul, Saul made excuses. Saul continued to sin. David, when he is rebuked, he repents. He says, I'm sorry. And that's exactly what this psalm is. Created me a clean heart. David is begging the Lord to create a clean heart in him. He's recognizing, I can't do this on my own. I, I just, wow, what happened? How did I get to this point? And so he's asking for this clean heart. And so Psalms 51, 1 through 5. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm going to stop right there. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your love and your mercy, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And I think we can all repeat that prayer. We all can say that. We all have sin. We all know what our sin is. David says, my sin is ever before me. And I think most of us can relate to that. Those things that we just wrestle with and they're ever before us. And we beg God to just take them away. And Sometimes we're like, are you even listening, God? Why am I still wrestling with this? But yet also going to God and saying, Lord, just wash me, cleanse me. And when I am going to screw up, have mercy on me because of your love and your mercy. And thankfully, we know the Lord blots out those transgressions, but it doesn't give us an excuse to continue to walk in those transgressions. And so right now, it's just a prayer time of asking for forgiveness. So I'm just going to be quiet for a few minutes and there's something you want to just shout out, maybe a phrase, a word, a verse, something, whatever the Spirit lays on your heart, do that.
And then I'm going to just close us in prayer and we'll uh, sing how great is our God. Thanking him for the mercy that he has on us. Actually, I'm going to start. Lord, just forgive us of our pride. Forgive me of my pride, God. you have mercy on us, God, that you bring people into our lives to show us what we need to repent of the same way you did to David. You brought Nathan into his life and David heard and he repented. Lord, I firmly believe you gave us 2020 to show us some things about us, about the church, about the way of some of our hearts and things we struggled with. God, you kind of put a mirror up. Lord, and some of us stumbled and some of us fell. But Lord, you've forgiven. Lord, I, I just, the two songs in my head right now are just both by Toby Mac, but Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just the lament that was written out of 2020, Lord, I'm sorry. But yet the song that was written just yesterday or that we heard just yesterday, that hope is on the way. God, that you are the hope. And it may be the midnight, it may be the last hour, but hope is on the way. So God, we're sorry. We're sorry for the ways that we slandered and hurt and treated people. God, we're sorry for the people that we hurt and our families and our loved ones. God, we're sorry where we fell short. And God, we're so thankful for your mercy. We're thankful that you blotted out those transgressions. And God, and we know that hope is on the way. We know that 2021 can be a year of healing, forgiveness. Because your presence is here, God. And we find hope in your presence. And Lord, for that we are thankful. Please continue this time of prayer and worship in whatever posture you feel led to be in. The splendor of the King
So the, this next time we're going to be focusing on praying for renewal of our hearts and our spirits. So I'm going to be reading the next several verses out of Psalm 51, verses 6 through 10. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In thinking of renewing a steadfast spirit within us, yesterday it kind of came to my mind, you know, do we love God? Yes. But do we really enjoy loving God? Do we find joy in that? Do we love to be in his presence? Or is it just something that's just a part of our life and it's not all that exciting? I I go to church, I, I serve, but do we actually find joy in that and do other people see that is is that fruit that we are bearing. And so just as we go into a time of prayer for renewing hearts and spirits, just a, a challenge, are you finding joy in being with fellow believers here, or are we more concerned about just everything else going around within life, within our country, within how other people are acting, are we so distracted by that that we're not rejoicing in what God has done and what what others need from us and that, that joy and hope that we have through Jesus. And so we're going to do the same thing. Um, just going to give you a few minutes, just if there's something scripture or if there's a word that you want to share or a phrase, just feel free to yell it, to scream it, to cry out, um, just to just to share with God what's what's on your heart, and then I'll close that, and then we'll have a song after this time. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. that you would renew our hearts, renew our minds, and that we would come to you and remember what you have done for us, that you have made us and washed us whiter than snow, that the sins that we have committed, you have taken away. Help us to move forward 
knowing that and not hold on to the past. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us and cast us not from your face, from your presence, but continue to shower us with your grace and mercy and that we would remember that we are individuals, part of a body as a community, and that what we go through, we're not supposed to bear that on our own. You are there with us and the body around us that we can just realize we need to share that and the things that we've gone through because that can, that can speak to somebody else and help us to be find times to be silent, to listen to you, not be distracted by everything else that's going on because it's easy to listen to all the things of the world around us. And help us, Lord, to be joyful in, in knowing what you've done for us through Christ and through your spirit. So I pray that we would be thankful, be grateful. Times are not easy. Life is not easy. But you go through it with us. And as a body, we need to share that together. So I thank you for that, Lord. And thank you for your word that was in the beginning and is still here now. You are in control and your law is righteous. Your word is truth. May we share that with others. Whoever we encounter and change one life at a time. In Jesus' name, amen.
next section, deliverance for what is to come. If you would go back with me 12 months and think about all the things that's happened in your life that you had no idea, no clue were going to happen in the past 12 months, the same applies for the next 12 or the next 12 years. It doesn't matter. We have no idea what's coming. And I didn't even know about this assignment, but this week, Diane and I were sitting at the table thinking about what's happened in the last 12 months. Things that, if you would have told me this is going to happen to you, and I said, I don't think so, but it did. Good or bad, doesn't matter. So I want to read the next five verses in Psalms 51, 11 through um, 15. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. And sometimes we think that things are bad and things are going to get worse. And you don't have to go very far to find a book that talks about things that happened to the Jews in the Holocaust or to any other group during any other particular period of time, and we know that we don't have it too rough. But God is with us, and regardless of what is coming, he is there to walk with us through those things. So let's uh, pray for that, deliverance for what is to come. Father, I thank you for bringing us this far, and we have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow or in the next hour even. But we know that you are there, and you are always there even when we think you are not. Father, just give us the reassurance and the protection that you always do through all of life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want the music, it's 438 in the red book. 438.
verses 16 through 19. And verse 16 begins, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart. That's pretty rough, isn't it? Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's back up to verse 15 that John read. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. We want to take just a minute or two here. What are you thankful for? What do you want to give praise for? Verse 16, right there, illustrates one thing I'm thankful for. You will not delight in sacrifice. We don't have to do these blood sacrifices that they did. We've had the ultimate sacrifice. I'm grateful that Jesus gave his life for me. I don't have to do this. Isn't that great? So just for a minute or two, what are you thankful for? Sins are removed. Yeah. Yes. For his presence.
chose that song from Michael W. Smith's new album, Instrumental, which is just piano and worship, or scripture being read over you. Uh, There's just the audio or the videos, but I I just, for me personally, the the water is the most peaceful place. I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean. If you haven't and you ever get there, whether side you're on, go out and watch a sunrise or go out and watch a sunset. It is the most peaceful, peaceful time of the day. One of my favorite memories of Africa is actually on the ferry of all places. But getting up at like 5.30, 6 a.m. when you're on the ocean and, and just everything is quiet and most of the boat is sleeping and that sun is just coming up on the water. It's cold. It's cold out there. Um, but I love to take people and visitors out there, probably because I know that the storm that's going to get ready to hit as soon as we hit land, which is that peaceful moment of just all you can see is the ocean and God's wonder and glory. And the sun is just that ball of shining coming up. Uh, for me, like I said, that the water is one of the most peaceful places. I love just spending time by the ocean. Um, didn't grow up near that, but I have learned to appreciate that. So I hope, I hope that wrapped that time up well. Um, and, and this morning, I just kind of want to just talk, it's just a short little reflection just about Lent. Um, I realize we're not Catholic, and, and some of you grew up celebrating Lent. Some of you probably did not. Some of you have never celebrated it. Um, but I think one thing we miss out on in the church is doing worship together. There's a lot of focus on who's right. Which do, maybe, maybe you didn't grow up this way, but this is how I grew up. It was always a, a fight of which domina- denomination was right. And as a young person, that just used to infuriate me uh, because I knew so many Christians in all different kinds of churches that just loved Jesus. But there always been this battle of who was right and who was wrong. Um, and, and so I loved, uh, when, I lived, when I lived in Pennsylvania, there was a, a ministry alliance that got together once a month. Um, and there was about 15 pastors, and we just got together, we had breakfast, we talked, we prayed for each other, we talked about our sins and our struggles, and ironically, every pastor said the exact same things. And every church was basically battling the exact same things. Um, and it was just a very special time. And in that time, I really learned about Lent. Um, David Martino, who was the guy I served under in, in Pennsylvania, grew up Catholic and did not grow up a believer. Um, and through his college years, he came to know Christ and began to be called to the Anabaptist church and, and work, has worked his whole life, his whole ministry in, in Mennonite churches. But I love the fact that he brought in some of these Catholic traditions and taught us them. Um, and he tweaked some of them because some of them had turned into tradition and ritual, but he just taught us the beauty. And I, and I love that. I loved learning from him. Because for me personally, growing up, um, Lent met my neighbor, my best friend, Jenny, my neighbor, went to church on a Wednesday night. She came home with ash on her forehead, which I thought was weird. Um, and then she couldn't eat meat for the whole month. And they, only, and they ate fish on Friday. And, we would, and Jenny and I grew up together. Uh, families have been friends my whole life. Um, and so during the, during the Lent season, she was always like, I'm giving something up. What are you giving up? And I'd be like, well, I'm not Catholic. I'm not giving up anything. That's just dumb. Um, that's what I said. I was like 10 and 11 and 12 and 13. And you get the point. Um, 
But what caught, what, what always stood out to me, and, and I love Jenny to death. She's still a close friend. Anytime we're home, our kids play together. But what I really want is I want her to know Jesus. And what I, what I learned through that process, and I think a lot of people in the Catholic Church struggled with, is they gave something up for Lent, but not really. They found ways to be sneaky. They found ways to make sure it happened. Or as soon as Lent was over, they dived back in to that thing they sacrificed. And, and, I, and, and so as David taught me about Lent and what it meant, I realized like the actual sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. And the season of Lent is for us to potentially give something up, to maybe even eventually fully give that something up. But it's the sacrifice it's not just to make a blanket statement or something, just whatever, and say, I'm not going to do this for 40 days, but really have no intentions of ever changing and just run back to it. But it's actually to reflect on what is going on inside of us as we prepare for Jesus' coming. And so for those of you who don't know anything about Lent or didn't grow up hearing about Lent, or maybe your views are purely what you knew from a Catholic friend, uh, Lent was actually started you know, get a little bit of history, not a lot this morning, was actually started at the Council of Nice in 325 A.D. And so the the church, early church leaders got together in 325 A.D. at the Council of of Nice, spelled N-I-C-E-A if you want to look it up, but pronounced Nice, because they wanted revival in the church. The church was dead. The church was stagnant. The church had lost its passion. And so just 300 years after Jesus, they were like, what happened? We need revival. And so they created this season of Lent. And Lent in in the Dutch, the early form of language, in, in the Greek, it literally meant 40. That's what it means. It means 40. And the Dutch... Uh, what a lot of these guys would have been speaking when this was created, the, the, early, the early Dutch Latin language, it literally meant spring season. Well, what do we think about when we think of spring? We think of warm weather. <laughs> we think of no snow. But we think of life, right? The flowers begin to bloom. The, the blossoms come on tree. The grass becomes green. And so they created Lent because they wanted life for the church. They're like, we're in some dark times. This is even before the dark ages. And we want life. And so they said, let's start 40 days. And in time it turned into 46 because they said, let's not count Sundays. Why should we not count Sundays? Because it's supposed to be our day of rest. It's supposed to be our Sabbath day. And so we should already be resting on that day. So let's rest 40 days as we prepare. And so Lent began at 46 days before Easter So that's what is now called Ash Wednesday. You take out the Sundays and it's 40 days, Monday through Saturday, leading up. And the early church then broke the time of Lent and celebrated the Monday, Thursday service, which we still do here at this church. And they get together and they had fellowship and they had a meal, they had communion, they washed each other's feet. And then they actually continued after that meal. Then they actually went on and fasted for the three days leading up to Easter Sunday. So they ate a meal. And then they fasted. So there was even more aspects of that. But the point is, they wanted to remember what God did. They wanted to let go of the the darkness in their life, the junk in their life, the dirtiness in their life. They wanted new life. They wanted this spring season. They ultimately said, serving the Lord is not easy. We're going to be tempted. And Christ told us we're going to be tempted. But we also know that we have to give things up. 
And as Christ gave up so much to come for us and to live as a human being, he gave up his glory, he gave up his honor, he gave up his position in heaven, he gave up everything to live as a human being and ultimately to die for us because it was the will of the Father. He gave up his very life. And so these early church leaders thought the least we could do is give up something or at least spend some time reflecting what do we need to give up or what has begun to control our life run our life. I think I've shared this before, but several years ago, it was 2011, probably 12 maybe, I gave up sports for Lent. That was a big deal for me. Um, not as much of a big deal today, but man, in 2012, it was 2012, it was a huge deal. Sports dominated my life. I could have rattled off every fact. Like I was better than Jay when it came to facts. I'm just saying. Jay's like... Whew. But I was, I was better than Jay in that time in my life. I, it just dominated everything. And I gave it up. I actually ended up spending Easter that year in Africa. I led a medical team uh, to West Africa. I was the church pastor on the team. And, uh, and I, I, for, I, think, I forget what else I gave up, but I gave up sports. And so the day that it was over, my wife had pack, put a package in my suitcase that she told me I couldn't look at until it was over. And she had wrapped me up gummy bears. I was like, yes, gummy bears. Because 10 days into Africa, gummy bears tasted really good. And she had wrapped these gummy bears up in the sports section of that current paper. And she just said, babe, you made it. And so I had all these sports facts. And I was like, wow, that is so thoughtful. But what I learned through all that is I didn't really miss sports. It was a, something I went to to kill time. It was something I went to to maybe numb what was going on or to just hide in it. But I didn't really miss anything. Teams still win and lose. People still get paid too much money. The system is still broken. And as much as I enjoy sports today, if I miss a few weeks, if I miss a few days, it's okay. And I realized that I had become an idol in my wife. And so my life, as I ate those gummy bears, which I was very thankful for, I just realized that maybe there's some other things I need to give up. So that is, that is what Lent is about. That's kind of why Lent was created. And again, just, just wanted to just point out a few more things, and then I just have a challenge for us. But again, they chose 40 days. And obviously, 40 is very, very important in the Bible. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai, Sinai sorry, not Sinai, Mount Sinai with God, you know, getting the Ten Commandments, getting the law. Israel couldn't even make it 40 days, and they, they fell apart. Right? right before Moses went up, they said, we'll obey you, we'll obey you, God, we'll obey you. Moses is gone for 40 days. They're like, hey, we don't know where that guy went. He disappeared. So they say, Aaron, make us a golden calf. Let us worship like we did in Egypt. They couldn't even go 40 days without reverting back to the pagan worship that they knew in Egypt. So Moses spent 40 days on the mountain. Elijah spent 40 days and nights walking to Mount Orab. If you remember that story in First Kings, the Lord brought him a ton of food and he said, you better eat because it's a long journey. And it says that Mo, Elijah ate and drank and he spent 40 days traveling to this mountain. And it says when he got there, he was absolutely exhausted. And the Lord brought him more food and water and restored his soul. 40-day journey out into the mountain. God sent 40 days and nights of rain in the great flood. 
When he cleansed the world of the wickedness that had happened in the days of Noah. Now, granted, they were in the boat a whole lot longer than 40 days, but it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. There was water, water everywhere. The Hebrew people wandered around for 40 years in the desert as a punishment because they would not enter the promised land. Jonah, the prophecy of judgment, gave 40 days to the city of Nineveh in which to repent or be destroyed. Bet you most of you didn't know that one. Dwayne probably did, though. He knows all those things. We talk about Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days and representing Christ being in the tomb. But when he went to Nineveh, he said, you have 40 days to repent. And they did. They repented. And they started worshiping the God, the Lord, the God of Israel. And Jonah got really mad and went out and pouted. Jonah's a really sad book. Jesus himself retreated into the wilderness before he started his ministry. Before he revealed who he was, before he declared he was the son of God, before he began his ministry, he went and spent 40 days and was tempted by the devil. And he knows what we've been through, guys. He was fully human. And he fasted for 40 days. And I'm telling you what, I don't care what that human aspect of him, when Satan came along and said, you can turn those stones into bread because I know you can, because I know who you are. He was tempted to not trust God, to not let God's will be done and take matters in his own hand. I guarantee he was tempted to turn those stones into bread because he was hungry. We can't negate that he was fully human as much as he was fully God. And that fully human side of him was absolutely starving. As some of you are when you go 40 minutes without food. Let alone 40 days. Just ask the youth how hungry they are after 30 hours without food next weekend. There's one more 40 that, that is in, not necessarily in Scripture. Well, there's two more. One is in Scripture and one is a tradition. It is traditionally believed that Jesus lay in the tomb for 40 hours. Now, I can't prove that. I don't know how that can be proved, but it was, it was an early church teaching. It's throughout all early church history and literature. It even came up in my study of the Council of Nice that we all know, if any of you have done the math, the Lord Jesus was not actually in the tomb for three days. It spanned three days. There was a part of Friday, all of Saturday, and he rose Sunday. Um, but their early church taught that from the time they buried him to the time he rose again was actually 40 hours. Now, again, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just throwing it out there. You can study that. You can look at that. But that's what the early church taught, that he was in the grave. He was actually in the tomb for 40 hours, spanning a three-day period of time. But the last 40 that we do know is a fact, and we do know because it's in Acts chapter 1. Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples after he rose again. Preparing them for ministry, preparing them for this next step, preparing them to go out and make disciples of all nations. And so when Jesus rose again, he spent 40 days with them. He rose on the 40th day. He went back into heaven on the 40th day. The 40th day from the time he came out of the grave that Sunday morning was 40 days to his ascension. And then another 10 days until the Holy Spirit showed up. So he promised them a helper. He promised them a keeper. He said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. And they waited 10 days. Pentecost literally means 50. That's why Pentecost is 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. 
So we're celebrating the 40 days that Jesus spent with the disciples, feeding them fish, walking with them on the road to Emmaus, all the little different stories that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the 10 days those disciples and that early church waited for the Holy Spirit. They waited 10 days in Jerusalem for this promise. Again, some of us struggle waiting 10 minutes. And if we're in the line at Taco Bell and we've been there for three minutes, we're angry and we're going to give a bad review on Yelp or whatever else because it took so long to get our food. Jesus prepared them to do ministry. And the season of Lent is all about that. Spending some time preparing our hearts for what is to come, like John and Dwayne kind of talked about. Spending some time to reflect on what do we need to get rid of. And uh, I just, I got this little book. It's called From the Grave. It's a 40-day Lent devotional of writings of A.W. Tozer. Um, Tozer's one of the authors I absolutely love. He's long been passed away. He died in the 50s, around the same time as C.S. Lewis. But he wrote all these things, all these scriptures, all these quotes, all these sermons that no one knew about. Even his own wife did not know about them. And when he passed away, they went into his private study. His, it was a bedroom in their house. It was his study. And they opened the dresser drawers. And they found a treasure trove of sermons. The dresser drawers were not full of clothes. They were just full of paper upon paper upon paper of sermons and devotions and thoughts. And actually, most of the books we have today from Tozer is from his family, his wife and his children, putting together all those writings and putting them into a book. He actually did not really write any of the books that we have from him, like pen them, but he wrote them. And so the family put these together. And so this is a 40-day Lent devotional. And I want to read today's, actually technically yesterday's. Because it started Wednesday, so there's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. This was Saturday's. And this is just going to be kind of our challenge for the morning. It's from Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of life always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And if you don't know anything about Tozer or Lewis, for that matter, both A.J.W. Tozer and C.S. Lewis predicted that the church was falling apart in the 50s. They, they wrote about some of the very things that we're seeing today. They were very prophetic men. And they said, we've lost sight of God. We've lost sight of our first love. And we've let the culture take over. And so this devotion that was found in his journal of writings literally is called Taking Time to Know God. Now remember, this was written in the 50s. There's just a lot of big words. I'm going to look down while I read it because otherwise I'm going to mess up. Taking Time to Know God. Probably the most widespread and persistent problem to be found among Christians is the problem of retarded spiritual progress. That's right. He used the word retarded. It was okay to use in the 50s. Why, after years of Christian profession, do so many persons find themselves no further along than when they first believed? Some would try to resolve the difficulty by asserting flatly that such persons was never saved and that they never have been truly regenerated. They simply deceive professors who have stopped short of a true conversion. I'm sorry, profession, not professors. With a few thing, with a few, this may be the answer. And that would accept, and, that, and we would accept this explanation 
as final, did we not know that it is never the deceived profession who laments his lack of spiritual growth, but the true Christian who has had a real experience of conversion and who is sure that he is the very moment trusting in Christ for salvation. Uncounted number of such believers are among the disappointed ones who deplore their failure to make progress in the spiritual life. The causes of retarded growth are many. It would not be accurate to, dis- to ascribe the trouble to one single fault. One there is, however, which is so universal that it may e- easily be the main cause. Failure to give time to the cultivation of the knowledge of God. I want to just stop right there for one second. The other three I've already read. And every single one he, he uses farming as an example. He talks about how if we don't take care of the land, it goes wild. If we don't take care of our crops, they don't grow. He talks about how we spend time fertilizing, planting, weeding. We put up fences. We put up barriers. We spend time taking care of things, the world, the farm. Because if not, the weeds come in and they choke and they grow and they take over. But yet we fail to spend time cultivating our spiritual life. Failure to give time to the cultivation of the knowledge of God. The temptation to make our relation to God judicial instead of a personal is very strong. Believing for salvation has these days been reduced to a one and done act that requires no further action. Again, this is written in the 50s. How prophetic to 2021. The young believer becomes aware of a living Savior to be followed and adored. The Christian is strong or weak depending upon how closely he has cultivated the knowledge of God. Paul was anything but an advocate of the once and done automatic school of Christianity. He devoted his whole life to the art of knowing Christ. And some quotes here from Philippians 3, 8, 10, and 14. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, that I may know him, the, powerful, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made comfortable unto his death, I pressed with the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Progress in the Christian life is exactly equal to the growing knowledge we gain in the triune of God in personal experience. And such experience requires a whole life devoted to it and plenty of time spent at the holy task of cultivating God. God can be known satisfactory only as we devote time to him. Without meaning to do it, we have written our serious faults into our book titles and gospel songs. A little talk with Jesus we sing and we call our books God's Minutes or something else as revealing. The Christian who is satisfied to give God his minute or have a little talk with Jesus is the same who shows up at the evangelistic service weeping over his retarded spiritual growth and begging the evangelist to show him the way out of his difficulty. A thousand distractions would woo us away from the thoughts of God, but if we are wise, we will sternly put them from us and make room for the king and take time to entertain him. Some things may be neglected with but, but some things may be neglected with but little loss to the spiritual life. But to neglect communion with God is to hurt ourselves where we cannot afford it. God will respond to our efforts as we know him. Or God will respond to our efforts to know him. The Bible tells us, tells us how. It is altogether a matter of how much determination we bring to the holy task. Let me read that again. The Bible tells us how. 
It is altogether a matter of how much determination we bring to the holy task. Are we willing to bring time needed to cultivate our relationship to God? That is the question I will ask myself this week and I ask you this morning. It challenged me as I read this. And he's right. We've turned knowing God into these little one-minute devotionals, minute things, minute things. Oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. But the reality is we make time for the things that are important to us. Most of us can sit through a three-hour long movie. Most of us can sit through an hour and a half long movie. And if you're a Marvel fan, you can sit through a three-hour long movie. Most of us can sit through a sporting event. Most of us can sit through a tractor pull. Most of us can make time for the things that matter to us. I'm not trying to point anyone out. I'm just trying to use examples of everyday things that we in this body at Sycamore make time for. The Bible tells us how to have a relationship with God. It is altogether a matter of how much determination we bring to the holy task. If we're not willing to make time for God, if we're not willing to make time to cultivate that relationship, then we should only expect a retarded progress in our spiritual life. We should expect churches to be weak. We should expect churches and people to have no roots and have no rooted system because time is not important to them. Because ultimately God is not important to them. I 100% agree and fully believe in America. We have turned salvation into a one-and-done act, a one-and-done thing. And I think it's a disservice and a disjustice for what it means to be a true follower of Christ. Concerts are amazing and people putting their hands up are good things, but we must have follow-up. We must work with those people. And we've turned it into simply, I raised my hand, now I'm saved and I'm not going to hell. I don't find those verses in the New Testament or the Old Testament for that matter. What I find is that we spend time and we have a relationship with God. And the one thing that I have learned in my life is that relationships are messy and they take time. Relationships are messy and they take time. And so our relationship with God is going to be at times messy because we're going to be arguing with him, but we're going to be wrestling with him and it takes time. The reason why the divorce rate in this country is over 50% is because people don't put time into their marriage. The allure fades off, the passion fades off, all the fun things fade off, and it gets hard. And it gets messy. And there's annoying, crying kids involved. We all love our children, but when they're crying at midnight, we have those thoughts. Thank you for smiling, Jeff. I know I'm not alone. Right? And then our kids convince us to get annoying little animals. I'm sorry, Mia, but it's true. And they're like, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it, Dad. And then they don't. So not only do we have the crying kid, we've got the yelping dog at 1 a.m. that needs to go out. And we have to get up with it. And we have to take it out or have a mess to clean up on the floor in the morning. My point in all that is everything takes time. 
And we don't want to take time. We want it to be easy. We want it to be simple. We want the checklist. We like cruise control. And relationships take time. Relationships with our children take time. Relationships with our wives or our husbands take time. And ultimately, all of that stems from our relationship with God, which is going to take time. So this Lentil season, these next 43 days, I think is left, 42 days, whatever it is, spring will be here on March 22nd, and Easter will be here April 4th. Monday, Thursday is April 1st. That is not an April Fool's joke. That is the truth. Monday, Thursday is April 1st. I'm not telling you to give something up, although if you want to do that, that's completely up to you. But I do want to leave our church with this challenge. For the next 40 plus days, are we willing to take the time that it requires to know God? Because if we want to grow as a body, if we want to encourage as a body, if we want to heal as a body, we have to know God, and that's going to take time. And it's going to get messy. So that's the question I just pose. Simple question I leave for you this morning as you wrestle for the next 40 days. Hopefully it doesn't take you 40 days to answer it. But are you willing to take the time to know God? And there's maybe some things you need to put down or put aside so that you have more time. Because if you say to me, I don't have time. No, you do have time, but you have to make it. It may mean no more something. I don't know what that may be for you. Maybe there's no more favorite TV show. Maybe it's no more video games. Maybe it's no more watching YouTube. Maybe it's whatever it may be. But I guarantee you can make the time for God if you really, really want to. Maybe an hour less of sleep every day because you get up a little bit earlier. Please drink more coffee then so you're not cranky. Just kidding. Sort of. But I just want to leave you guys with that challenge. Next week we're going to dive back into 1 Peter chapter 3, talking about marriage, which takes time. So are you willing to make the time for God? Are you willing to make the time to actually know God? It's an honest question that we all need to ask ourselves. And if there's something to make that time that you need to get rid of, then I encourage you to use what's left of the lentil season to say, you know what, I need to get rid of this. I need to check this off. I need to use that time for God. Because me and God, yeah, we've been in these one-minute devotionals for far too long. And I don't really know Him anymore. I just know what I think I know. Lord, I just thank You. I thank you that the early church saw the need for revival and they created Lent. I thank you that wise men got together in 325 AD and said, man, we've already got off course. We need revival. We need renewal. And I thank you that every season of life we can apply these same principles. Everything that we read this morning in the scriptures, everything that we prayed, it's relevant today and it'll be relevant in 10 years. Like John said, because your word is living and active and never changing. And every year we're going to need revival. And every year, every day for that matter, we're going to need renewal. Because left to ourselves, we're like those fields that go wild. If we neglect a field or a yard, the grass grows, the weeds grow, it goes wild. And our spiritual life is the exact same way. If we neglect it and we leave it alone, we do as minimal as possible, it will grow wild. 
So God, help us to make time for you. Help us to honestly ask that question of what we're willing to make time for you and then looking at what we need to maybe get rid of so we have time for you. God, help us to know you more. Let that be the cry of our heart as individuals and as a family and as a body. Because as we know you more, God, you're going to lead us into what you have for Sycamore to do in 2021. But we're not going to know what that is if we don't know you. And we're not going to know what you have for us if we can't listen to the Holy Spirit. So God, help us to know you so that you can lead us to what you have for us to do as a body and as individuals in 2021. In your name we pray. Amen.